podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. Well, we're going to continue in the book of Acts, our verse-by-verse study. Verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter, week-by-week, and sometimes it's necessary to go to traditional Christmas texts, you know, the ones that we know and love. Uh, But other times, it's so super easy to tie back anything in the New Testament to Christ coming at Christmas, because that's where all the blessings begin. And it's really kind of the theme of the whole book. So we have remained on course here in Acts chapter 9. We're going to pick up with two Christmas miracles, really, that tell us all about salvation, what it means to be saved uh, through looking at these two marvelous miracles given for that very reason. God gives miracles and does the miraculous in the Bible uh, to teach us of the greater miracle, the greatest miracle of all, eternal life. Let's pray together. Father God, how as we look at these two miracles that speak so much of the consequences of Christmas, that the Word made flesh to dwell among us for these very reasons, God, to give the powerless power and to raise those dead in sin to new life, a life that can never die. So be with us now. God, assist us in our understanding of these truths that we might know them and do them, practicing them, and be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. I officiated a memorial service right here last week. A brother of one of our members passed away relatively young. He wasn't even 60 yet. And uh, yeah, nobody really saw it coming. And that's the thing about death. No respecter of age, no respecter of persons. Doesn't care how old you are or physically fit or any such thing. If you've got a beating heart, uh, then you qualify for a visit. And more than that, you don't just qualify, uh, you're predestined for one. As the Bible puts it in chapter 9 of Hebrews and verse 27, it's appointed unto men once to die. And that's not the scary part. It's the next clause, to finish the sentence and then to face judgment. Because we uh, didn't come here on our own. We were created, and we were given life by God. And at the end of the life that belongs to God, he evaluates how we lived. And so, yeah, some sort of like creepy serial stalker 
That's how death is described. Watching and waiting, lurking in the shadows for an opportune time to strike. Young and old, rich and poor, nice or nasty, uh, fitness trainer or couch potato. You know at the deli counter where you go up and you pull a tab and you get your number? Well, you know, there's like a counter in heaven. We've all taken a number when we came into this world, and one of these days your number's going to get called. As I told the folks gathered at the uh, memorial service, you're either going to get the phone call or you're going to be the phone call. Did I mention Merry Christmas to everybody? (laughs) Well, that's just the thing, because it's very appropriate to say Merry Christmas and the reason for the gift-giving and the joy and decking the halls with boughs of holly and all of that. Why? Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save us from sin. The wages of sin is death, And since all have sinned, all must die. Therefore, all need a way out. All need a savior. And so, yes, indeed, these are the reasons why there's joy in the world. Today, in the city of David, which was Bethlehem, a savior has been born to you. Christ the Lord. And so, yeah, it's a truth that seems to be lost on the postmodern world, as it's called, who celebrates the holiday without really knowing why the true reason. But we know the real reason. The scripture says the reason the Son of God came into the world to save his people from their sins. And yeah, saving us from our sins, rescuing us from uh, the sentencing phase that occurs after physical death, which the Bible calls the second death in Revelation chapter 20. That's the death that he came to rescue us from, separation from God, separation from life. Jesus said this, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes has eternal life. He will not be judged, but is crossed over from condemnation and death to life. That's in John chapter 5 and verse 24. He came into the world to save us from hell. That's what he did. And no wonder we like to sing happy songs at Christmas time because nobody wants to go to that place. We want to go to heaven. And Jesus says, that's very easy to do. Trust me, I did the hard work for you. Trust me and live. And so, yeah, every miracle you ever read about in the Bible is uh, to really purpose to confirm the truthfulness of the gospel, to teach and reveal uh, the, the greater miracle, the greater miracle of salvation. And so we see that again here as we pick up in Acts chapter 9. Uh, it's a twofer, as I alluded to there uh, this morning, two stunners. Two uh, miracles, a couple shout-outs to what Jesus came to do at Christmas. He came to empower the powerless and raise the dead. Tidings of comfort and joy, indeed. So uh, last we saw, now we, we learned about Saul, who becomes Paul, the great apostle. He's converted, he's preaching, and now he's persecuted as a Christian. And uh, he is... 
shipped off to his hometown, 600 miles uh, away, out of harm's way from those who want to assassinate him. And so as he goes, the Holy Spirit uh, leads Luke to go back to Peter and his ministry, as Peter's going to fade out now, because Peter, James, and John, their ministry is to Israel, to the Jews. Paul, the Greek-speaking Jew, the international man, he's going to assemble a team, and he's taking the torch of the gospel outside of Israel and to the, the then-known world, the Roman Empire. It's going to go global, and so we're going to see a little more of Peter, and then uh, he's going to bridge, make the bridge there in Acts chapter 10, and then it's uh, going to be all about Paul and uh, what the Lord is doing through him. So let's see what Peter has been up to, starting at 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. Lydda is 50 miles west northwest of Jerusalem. Saints, again, not moral perfection. The word means to be separated from sin to God, called out of the world into the kingdom of God. That's what the word means. So he went to visit some of the believers 50 miles northwest of Jerusalem in a little church there in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralyzed man, who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter says to him, Jesus Christ is healing you, man. Get up and take care of that mat. <laughs> uh, sounds familiar. That's what Jesus liked to say. And Peter spent three and a half years with hearing things like that. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon, the surrounding area, saw him and turned to the Lord. That word means to be converted. Next slide. In Joppa, modern-day Jaffa, that's the famous seaport from which uh, Jonah sailed to try to get away from the Lord, and good luck with that, uh, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated into Greek is Dorcas. We're going to go with Tabitha uh, as a, just a more... Uh, <laughs> Pleasant name for our ears in this day. <laughs> Tabitha was, the, was uh, the Hebrew for gazelle, and in Greek, gazelle as well. So Tabitha is always doing good, helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. This is contrary to Jewish custom, and so it's in there for a reason. Somebody's expecting something different to happen here. Lydda was near Joppa, 13 miles further west. So Joppa is from Lydda. So when the disciples heard that Peter was so close, it's as close as Katadi, right? Peter was in Lydda. They sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room, straight in to the problem area. <laughs> All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, 
so familiar with Jairus' daughter, if you recall. Jesus, his master, doing that. Then he got down on his knees and prayed, turning toward the dead woman. He said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now that's a shout out there for Jewish listeners, 43, because he's going to stay with a man who makes his living by tanning animal hides, which is very messy and very unclean for Jews, not kosher at all, and Jews were not supposed to be tanners. So what is the Jewish apostle doing with this unclean Simon who's a tanner? Well, that's it. We're moving to God so loved the world, not just Israel. And so that's a shout out to connect you to what's coming. Right now, our business is before us here with the two miracles. So there's a lot going on. Here it is, after all, called the Acts of the Apostles, which is a bit of a misnomer. We like to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the first 30 years of Christianity, uh, from the death and resurrection of the Lord, 30 years out, evangelizing the the entire Roman Empire. And so, uh, yeah, so there's no better picture of comfort and joy than this picture of Aeneas, who is going to get up out of a sick bed where he was totally paralyzed, some degenerative, progressive, neurological disorder or disease, had no cure now or then, some of these terrible diseases, and Tabitha sitting up with a smile after being pronounced dead. You don't get more comfort and joy than that. And so these two miracles come to us courtesy of the Christ, of Christmas, who came just to do that. Power for the powerless, Aeneas, and life for the dead, Tabitha. And their story is our story, the human condition and the love of Christ. So before the miracle, here a little context, just Paul is away off to Turkey where he was born. Uh, They're headed home uh, for a cooling off period since everybody wants to kill him. Uh, now and so he's out of harm's way, a safe distance from those who wanted to assassinate him. And the Christian Church is established. And as we uh, see in our opening words here, Spence, the text there from verse 31 and following, that there are Christian churches in Jewish Israel, which is another miracle. It's not just two healing miracles. It's like, wow, Christian churches all over Israel. So. Judea is the southern end of Israel, Samaria the middle, and Galilee the north. So wherever you go now, there's a church that's doing well. And how did those churches get there? Remember the mega church in Jerusalem was mega persecuted. It says that in the Greek, mega meaning great. And it says all of them were scattered. They fled for their lives, and they settled in surrounding regions. Some stayed in the south, some went a little north, and some went way north. Now there are these churches that have been established, 
and they're flourishing. They're doing great, which is a miracle because uh, Jerusalem, they're out to kill people uh, like you and me. And there they are all over Israel, beautiful little lighthouses in the communities. And I say that because it was, it's dark to live under the law of God. Do this or die. Commandments that everybody is, spiritually speaking, like Aeneas without power to obey. Thou shalt not lie, or thou shalt die. Well then, prepare, Aeneas, your memorial service, because you lie all the time, right? Because you're powerless. You're powerless to stop. Even with the Holy Spirit, it's hard. To do the things we know in our head and our hearts. No, that's wrong. And then we end up doing them. And the things that are right and good that we want to do, we don't end up doing that. Instead, we do the evil that we know is wrong that we don't really want to do. And so this is why Jesus came, to help sinners out, to give those who are powerless uh, power. And so, uh, yeah, this is what we've got to look at now. And so... Um, Lydda, 35 miles there or so, uh, northwest of Jerusalem, or 50 miles about. Modern-day Lod, and uh, it's the site where Ben-Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv is. So if you've ever flown into Israel at all, uh, you have flown over Aeneas Place there. And you've also flown over Samaria, where the well was. And I, I remember landing there for the first time and looking out the window and knowing what happened in that region. I mean, from Old Testament to New Testament, just so many different things that just happened on in those midst of those fields and uh, houses there. It'll be wonderful to piece all of that together uh, someday when we are when we know as we are fully known, when we see our maker face to face. So Peter, uh, verse 32, travels about, the word is very intentional, uh, purposed and planning. It's like crisscrossing and patterns uh, because that's what Jesus did. He's on a, on a mission to seek and save the lost. And the sower goes out scattering seed and just wherever we traverse, Wherever God guides our footsteps, we're doing the same thing. And whether you're a gifted evangelist or not, Jesus said, shine your light in such a way that others can see the truth, the reality of God and a Savior, and come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. Jesus said, uh, I came to seek and save the lost. And on the same errand, he has sent you and me no matter where we go. And so uh, there in verse 32, Lydda, maybe he was invited by the saints, the believers there. Um, uh, can you imagine who, what congregation in all of Judea, Samaria, and Galilee wouldn't want Peter to come and share a testimony? Or come on, he, as First John chapter 1 says, these are the men who saw the word made flesh, heard God's voice, touched God in a human body. Come and share a few words. Every church wanted uh, him to come, and Lydda uh, got blessed 
with him being there. And so uh, all is good in Lydda as described. I mean, the church was under the fear of the Lord. Uh, when, uh, when it speaks of the fear of the Lord, it's the fear of the Lord that gives us a, a reverent awe for the Almighty that affects our behavior. If a person has a proper, healthy dose of the fear of the Lord, it will turn you from evil. It'll affect how you live, uh, because it's not always our natural inclination to do the right thing and to obey what the Bible commands us to obey. But if you've got a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord, who's watching and recording, and one day you're going to give a little account for your life, yeah. And then it says the fear of the Lord, and this is what these folks at Lydda had. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? It means that no matter how smart you are, no matter how good at math you are, no matter how good you are at running a business, if, you're, if you live in opposition to the God who made you, what good is any of it? So the start of being smart is to recognize there's a God and have a healthy respect for him. That's what that verse means. And they had that, and everything's all bright and shiny at Lydda, except somebody's not doing well. They're suffering in the back bedroom, Aeneas. Imagine that suffering, which is unimaginable, the horrendous toll on him and the friends and family who care for him 24-7. Think about it. And what a burden it is being a burden to loved ones. I don't know if you've ever had that sad uh, condition to not be able to care for yourself and be a burden on everybody. It's a burden to you as well (laughs) on top of the sickness. You know, Proverbs 18 and verse 14, the human spirit can, can endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who could bear. So this guy's got a terrible sickness and he's crushed 3,000 days in bed. If he wants to scratch his nose, he sends a signal to the hand and the hand says, "Uh, not going to do it. If he wants to be helpful and provide for his family, he can't. If he wants to use the restroom, he can't. He's just trapped inside a body that's lifeless, ignoring the signals from his brain to live. Bed sores, infections, no use of his hands or feet. Can't give any hugs. Yeah. Humiliation, grief, pain, sorrow. No hope. What did they tell him? Make him comfortable. It's been eight years. This isn't going to change. So he can't get around on his own. He's numb to life. He's numb. He can't feel a thing. The pleasures that could be his are out of reach, like those in unbelief who are powerless in their relationship with God, numb to him, numb to his will, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, no end in sight. A young man who gave his heart to the Lord told me, I was disconnected. There was a shell, and I'm going through the motions, and I'm like, school, 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 work, 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 striving, 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 and then dying, dying, dying. Is this it? Well, for Aeneas, it is. But if Jesus comes into the room, 
And Aeneas will simply trust. He'll be given the power to have life that the Bible calls life that is really life. Yes. And so, yeah, you know, Jesus told the church that was not a church at Laodicea to Christians who were not Christians. He says, you guys have a reputation. You always say, oh, I'm rich. We're such good Christians. I have acquired wealth. We don't need anything. We got it all at our church. And he said, but you don't realize from heaven's point of view, you're wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. You see, this is how we can spiritualize the Aeneas and understand that Aeneas' condition of powerless and paralysis can be seen spiritually in our relationship to God because that's how God sees the human condition. Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, and powerless, paralyzed, Romans, what does Romans say? At just the right time, Christ came into the world when we were powerless. Aeneas, he died for us. And so, yeah, but Aeneas is a believer. He has saving faith. It doesn't say he's a believer, but, you know, he's visiting the saints and he is going to come to have a miracle. And so the Lord is visiting him. The Bible calls the Lord the great physician. The Lord tells Israel, he says, I am the Lord who heals you. That's my name. Jehovah Rapha. You see in Exodus 15 and 26. And the psalmist bursts into song saying, praise the Lord, O my soul. Don't forget about all his benefits. He forgives all your, your, your sins and heals all your diseases. And you're thinking, well, I haven't really had a disease. Oh, stop. Oh, stop. Every childhood sickness, you think it just magically went away? All your your colds and your flus and the virus and every time you've been down and out with a fever or a sore throat or infection or a migraine or inflammations or allergic reactions or broken bones. I love it. We just think, oh, give it time. The body knows what to do. No, does it? Oh, come on, body. Do your thing. Do your thing. Go, go, body, go. No. Your arm doesn't heal itself. You get a laceration. You get a wound. You get a gash. Just cover it up and magically, with time, it just goes away and heals itself. Oh no, the Bible says, oh, you need to be giving God the credit for that because it's because of God that every one of your wounds psychologically, emotionally, so many people have been lacerated in their hearts in this sick, sick world. Growing up with dysfunctional families, with people who tried their best but failed miserably and wounded us for life, Barb and I were laughing uh, in a sad way at the dinner table just talking about how we still, in our 60s, are dealing with hurts that we had As children and teenagers, statements that were made and deeds that were done that should have never been said and never been done. But we praise our Jehovah Rapha. He says, I am your healer. And uh, we are way better off than years ago because of that. And so, yeah, he's our healer. And um, he's been busy. Whether or not you've... uh, 
had the <laughs> wisdom to thank them or not, bow your head and thank them for providing for the meal, or you just dig in and just realize or think to yourself, oh, it's all because of my uh, good efforts here. Well, the Bible would argue with you and say you don't have anything unless God gave it to you and used your good hard labor. He blessed the work of your hands. And so, yeah, the greatest healing of all, of course, is not the temporary fix of a disease or a pain, but it's the paralyzed, sin-sick soul, who if you die in that condition, <laughs> you're powerless to do anything about it and just perish. And so God and sinner reconciled, as the Christmas song says. Uh, so now he immediately responds. And, and look at your text. He walks as we walk with God. We are empowered to walk in ways that we couldn't walk before with God, with hands to use to do God's will. Yeah, it's a whole new ball game when you say yes to the Lord who's healing us. And now he's walking around, and uh, lots of people are turning their hearts to God because they know before and after. You know, so Aeneas, listen up. Jesus is here, man. He's healing you. There's power here right now. Respond. And I love how immediately they respond. Always in healing narratives in the Bible, when Jesus or his disciples say to somebody who can't do what they're asking to do, stretch forth your withered hand, sir, Jesus. Let's stretch it forth. And if it were me, I'd be like, I, Lord, I've been trying to stretch forth my hand since I was born like this. No, he just does it. He doesn't know how. Because you said so, I'm going to just do it. Get up, man. 3,000 days in bed. Get up, man. Jesus is here. Wow. And somehow that's faith. Faith just says, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to do it. And as you receive the word and act, the miracle happens. And the weak becomes strong. And the dead becomes alive. And the withered thing vigorous, vibrant, and healthy. Any command in the Bible that you think is way out there, you'll never see it. Just do it. Do it. God says, be holy. And you're not holy. God says, don't put anything evil before your eyes, gentlemen. How am I ever going to do that? Do it. Just stop talking about it. God calls you to do something. How am I ever going to forgive that person? Just do it. Because you said so, you know, Aeneas, get up. Do it. Okay. You see, that's how it works. And if you think, uh, yeah, I wish it was that easy, well, then stay in the bed. What can I say? <laughs> Just stay in the bed. I mean, I, can, I can't, yeah, that's all we can do is tell it like it is. And so, but wait, there's more. There's going to be a knock at the door. Let's pick it up, Spence, at the... That's it, right? In Joppa, there's a disciple named Tabitha who was always doing good deeds. I want to paraphrase this. There's this wonderful Christian woman who lives in Joppa, Tabitha. She's never stopped being a blessing, big heart for needy folks. 37. Right around the same time Aeneas gets his miracle, she gets sick and passed away. They prepare her body, place it in an upper room on the second floor. They probably told the kids not to go in there. For... <laughs> 
verse 38. <laughs> Joppa wasn't that far from where Peter was, uh, Aeneas place there. Uh, so when Tabitha's Christian friends and family hears that he's close, they send out two guys with an urgent request. Peter, please come right away. Let's pause there. Yeah. doesn't matter if you're a person who does good deeds all day long and knows the Lord. You still can get sick and die. That's what happens here. So now life from the dead. Word traveled fast, didn't it? You know, after somebody's been bedridden and paralyzed for eight years and suddenly they're strolling through town. Yeah, word got out, traveled the 13 miles uh, that Aeneas is now walking around, that God did a miracle, and that the Apostle Peter is near there. So uh, there's a church uh, now that you've met that has another sufferer, and this time her name is Tabitha. Uh, and she's got an awesome reputation, doesn't she? Now, she's uh, got this reputation for good deeds, doing good deeds. Now, when you say doing good deeds to a born-again Christian, they have a little bit of a suspicious uh, reaction. We're, we're not fond of hearing that particular phrase, uh, doing good deeds, because it's so abused and misunderstood in the world. The world, without faith, loves good deeds. They applaud them all day long, which we, we, we acknowledge. That's a nice thing to do, but it can't save you. And, and, and they're usually done at the expense of relationship with Jesus. So, uh, yeah, you know what I'll tell you, Lord God and your Bible and all you Christians, my religion, it's kindness. And we're going to put that sign everywhere on our front lawns. So just so you know, we're not buying this whole sinner thing and we need to repent thing and bow the knee to Jesus thing. We don't need the cross. My religion is simply this, kindness. You see? So Christians are kind of like, be careful with the good deeds thing because it's abuse. And it's even taught in churches that don't know the Lord and preach this social justice thing where everything is about the poor, the poor, the poor, the needy, the needy, the needy. But their souls are not saved. There's no preaching of Jesus. There's no repentance. In fact, the pastor is not saved and living in an immoral lifestyle and encouraging others to do the same. You want to know what social justice is? Live the gospel. Live the gospel. And the needy will be taken care of. And, and justice will be served. And by the way, you should not be crying out for justice. <laughs> you should not. That is not the cry that any human should cry out. Justice. We want justice. No, you don't. <laughs> No, you don't. What you want, what you meant to say is, oh, where's the mercy? Where's the mercy? Muhammad Ali, one of the greatest boxers of all time, interviewed before he died in 2006. And he said, I just hope that God, Allah, uh, will take into account all my good deeds. All my good deeds. I sign 200 autographs a day with the hope of making it to heaven. I know, I know. He wasn't a, sub a subscriber to our YouTube channel, apparently. So, well, yeah, Tabitha's religion is not kindness. It's in Jesus, faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone. And because she's given heaven freely, now she does good deeds. Not to get heaven, 
not to earn God's love, but because she'd been given freely God's love and a free pass to eternal life. Now these are the only good deeds that count. And why do I say that? Because what, how does it count to do a good deed and the person ends up in hell? The person who received the good deed and you who did the good deed. If you're not in Christ, the Bible says your goodness is but filthy rags because everything's stained by sin. And so I think you get the point. So they sent for Peter. Quite natural, of course. They hear he's in town. They want to meet him before. Before she gets sick or died, perhaps. Right? And, and, and did, did he send? Uh, did they send for him when she's sick and then she dies in the process? Or after, which it seems like it's after she dies that they say, go get Peter. There's a miracle over there. The power of God is at work. Let's see what happens. Go get him, right? Especially washing her and dressing her, uncovered, laying her on the bed like good to go. She's just down for a nap. (laughs) That's not the Jewish way. You wrap them up right away, get them in the ground that day. She should have been removed from the house. Nobody's allowed to get near her. No, something's up. Somebody's thinking outside of the box. Peter's here. Hey, we just heard about this miracle of him raising somebody off the bed. They're just like, what, what's, what's hard for God? Would it be harder for if, he's, if she's dead than if just living and paralyzed? To them, that's what faith says. God can do anything. So they send for him. This is how miracles happen. I really like one writer said, listen, God says ask. God says, I'm the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? So one writer said, ask, believe. Prepare that thing, and I'm quoting, that has died, has no life, and that no human effort can achieve. Then the thing you long to see, to spring to life, place it on the altar. Wash it in the word of God. Clothe it in prayer. Invite God to come and do a miracle. And perhaps you will see the dead thing come to life. You know, I tell God all the time before I pray for a big thing, God, I know you can do this. I don't know if it's your will or not, but I know if I delight myself in you, you'll give me the desires of my heart. So here it is. Here it is. And then if he chooses to let Dorcas be dead, (laughs) as it were, then I don't want Dorcas to be alive. If God said, son, it's best that she's in the presence of the Lord and this thing, uh, I got something better planned. You can't see it right now. That's the way to think about it. Not, oh, he doesn't answer my prayers. (laughs) No, he answered your prayer. He's answered every single prayer. Every single prayer for good. For good. Yeah, there are some things you just don't want to open the door to, even though you're tugging and tugging and tugging. And he's like, trust me. Oh, no, you want that door shut. Yeah. So speaking of shut doors, (laughs) the shut door there on the house uh, gets a knock on it. And Aeneas loves now to say, oh, no, I'll get it. (laughs) (laughs) So Aeneas said, what's up? What's up, man? 
Uh, he answers the door. What's up, brothers? And they want to see Peter. Peter comes to the door. Hey, we've got a bit of an emergency, brother, up the road. We know you're Peter and everything. You're probably busy, but a dear sister in the Lord has died. She's up in the upstairs room, just laying on the bed. Um, no pressure, no pressure, but could you come and see what God might have in mind? Whew, let's finish up. 39 and following. We'll be done. Peter goes in. They get to the house. They escort him straight upstairs and into the room. And all the sweet widows surround him, weeping and showing off all the beautiful garments Tabitha had made while she was still living. Verse 40. Peter dismisses them from the room, gets down on his knees, and prays. All caps, praise. Uh, turning toward the dead woman. Yeah, he's not staring at the dead woman. He doesn't want to look at the corpse. I mean, he's freaked out. Like, what's going to go on here, you know? So then he turns after prayer toward the dead woman and says to her corpse, Tabitha, time to rise and shine. And uh, she opens her eyes and sees Peter and then sits up. That's phrased funny. Uh, I think for a reason, 41, he offers her his hand and helps her off the bed onto her feet, and then he lets everyone in the, in the house know, come on upstairs, and reintroduces her uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord, Tabitha, back from the dead. <laughs> News of this spread like wildfire all over the region. Many people believed and were saved, and Peter's going to hang out with the tanner. Ah, uh, there's a tanner here today, by the way. His name is Tanner. He's not a tanner. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him today and his girlfriend here, so that's funny. There are several resurrections recorded in the Bible. Technically, uh, they are resuscitations because, sadly, everyone who gets raised will have to die again, like poor Lazarus. <laughs> you know, he was enjoying four days in paradise, as the Bible calls it. And then, boom, he gets summoned back, you know. When, and he was probably glad to be a testimony and all of that. But every single resuscitation, and we'll call them resurrections, there's like four or five of them in the Bible, uh, they all purpose to help us believe that Jesus can deliver on the promise. Quote, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. Anyone who believes in me, even if you die, you're going to live forever. That's a quote. That's a mighty big claim. So he says, okay, I know any madman can say, hey, believe in me and you're never going to die. Yeah. But can a madman do this? Lazarus, I know you've been dead for four days. Roll away the stone. Come on out here. I want to give you a hug. And out he comes, wrapped up in his grave clothes. And the Jews say, oh, nice trick. But no, no, no. Do you remember back with Jesus and Jairus' daughter, 12-year-old girl who died? She was dressed, laying on the bed. Jesus removed everybody from the room. Peter standing there, watching. Maybe Jesus said, pay attention. You're going to be needing this. And says to her, Talitha kum. Only one letter difference from Tabitha, kum. Kum, get up. Talitha means little lamb. Tabitha means gazelle. Arise. 
So just beautiful how God is doing that. How, how is Peter not an egomaniac by now? I mean, his preaching, he's going to be writing scripture. He was the lead disciple for three and a half years next to the God-man, uh, rubbing shoulders with God in human form, doing miracles like this. Come on. You know, he speaks and Sapphira falls down dead. He speaks again, and Dorcas rises from the dead. One writer said, Oh, the painful, humbling thorn Peter undoubtedly carries in his flesh. Like Paul, a private and personal suffering, a messenger of Satan that keeps him grounded in humility on his knees, aware of his need for grace. For here is a man who calls in Christ's name life and death. Yeah, so sometimes when God uses us, it's so exhilarating. I told somebody who was saying, Pastor, that sermon going on and on and on in a beautiful way. And I said, you need to stop because I want to fit my head into the car when I get out there from all of those accolades and compliments, right? And whenever you do anything good, and whenever it comes out like, whoa, look at that, look what I did. You see, it's very quick. You need to say thank you and praise God. Peter can, can be humble because he knows exactly who he is without the grace of God. And he remembers that, I do not know him. I do not know him. I swear to God I don't know the guy. Cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> yeah, he keeps that real handy when they're like, there's nobody like you, Peter. You know, ah, uh, yeah, I remember. I remember, right? And we all have those uh, memories. So she's described as a real humble soul, always doing good and, uh, you know, just wonderful. I do have a note here that says, I wonder what would have happened if she wasn't the church blessing machine, but she was the church troublemaker. That if, if she was, you know, just gossiping and bitter and divisive and always just a problem, you might call her an EGR, extra grace required, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. if it, it would, it would the Lord even want Peter to be notified? Because maybe, maybe the Lord would say, you know, she's absent from the body. She's present with me. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing. I don't know. Hey, I've been doing this for 40 years, and I just, the, the thought went through my mind. <laughs> it might, it might, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, we can't earn God's blessings, but we can live in such a way that attract him to interact in beautiful ways, I think. And so they're clamoring around Peter. I have a heart here because I just love it. I picture the young at heart women, our seniors, the widows, and maybe she was older too because she's surrounded by widows, and they're all weeping and crying, and they've all got garments. And they're like, look at that cushion, Peter, that cushion. Look at the stitching on it. Look at these seams in the robe and the, the sashes. I don't even know what they're called. You know, stuff. I'm married to a seamstress too. I mean, it's a shame that I don't... <laughs> that I don't know more than I should know, but look at the curtains, look at what she's done, the blankets for the, 
for those in need and all of this. And it seems to me like they're trying to give Peter and the Holy Spirit a reason. A reason to raise her up, pray for her, do something. This is amazing that her good deeds are speaking after she's gone. Uh, in behalf, on, on her behalf there. So he puts them out of the room, the gawkers, sweet as they are. He needs a little less uh, hysteria and the time for prayer. He closes the door and he, and he hits his knees. And that prayer, come on, I can't imagine, you know. He, he gets on his knees, he prays, maybe a prayer of self-abasement. God, I know I'm nothing. I'm a zero. I'm like the ATM machine. You're the cash that flows out. You know, whatever. He probably didn't say it like that. <laughs> a prayer of confession. Maybe you have a bad attitude about something on the road. You know, when you ask God for something big, you're always, it's good to just clear the slate, you know, clear any up debts or, you know, prayer of faith. Lord, I know you can i got a tiny pinch of faith. I've seen you do it with my own eyes, but I just, and a prayer for discernment. I don't know. I know you can. I know they want you to. I would love it too, but what do you want to do? I don't know. And then he gets the ping, the prompt. Tell her. Let's do this. It's so much like Talitha Kum. Tabitha, or Tabitha. Tabitha, Talitha. Do you see? It's better that pronounced that way. Talitha Tabitha, kum. And so with his heart racing, his pulse probably at 190, uh, his blood pressure 1,000 over 900. Uh, in verse 40, he turns to the dead woman. And maybe if it was me, I'd open up one eye squinting and looking at her. I would be like, uh, Tabitha, get up. No, but he's a man filled with faith, and he's like, Tabitha, get up. And then it says the awkward, first thing she does and sees, raised from the dead, is she sees Peter. She recognizes it's Peter. Somehow, maybe she's seen him from afar. Maybe they were all talking before he's nearby. Wouldn't it be great to see him? And then so she opens her eyes, and she's like, whoa, Peter. And she says, at your service, Miss Tabitha. And, uh, you know, where was she? What did she see? And was she there? And did she talk to Jesus? You'll never know, because there won't be a book deal here. There won't be a movie, mate. I died and went to heaven. Oh, no. You know why? Because Paul did die. They stoned him. He died. He had a vision, a bodily appearance in heaven. And he said, I saw and heard things that are not permitted to tell. They're not permitted to tell. It's unlawful. It's indescribable anyway. That's why every time you hear about, I died and went to heaven, and they're everywhere. Everybody's doing it now because it makes money. And you get a lot of followers and subscribers. You know, I died on the operating table, and what Jesus told me will astound you. No, because it's a figment of your imagination. That's what is astounding to me. And so don't start me. It's too late. I'm already. <laughs> and every time this subject comes up, I say the same exact thing. And then, yeah, that, because it's true. Um, that's in 2 Corinthians 12, 4, where it says, no one's allowed to visit and talk, including little kids. 
All right, moving on. The joy of happy tears. It's time to spread a table again. And did I tell you only last service maybe that uh, there's a play on words there uh, for get up and walk to Aeneas. Get up there it, it can, and, and roll up your mat. It, it also can mean spread the table because of the, the way the Greek is with the spread of the blanket and the bed. Right, so spread the table. Let's have a feast. So there's just a lot of merrymaking in the kingdom of God because God's always coming through, and we always have cause to celebrate. Somebody gets better, uh, the finances come through, uh, the promotion uh, comes to pass, and all of these happy things, tidings of comfort and joy. Let's finish up with a few thoughts here. Here's the big mind blower for me. So, yeah, for Tabitha, well, for a good person, somebody might possibly dare to die, right? For somebody like Tabitha, God would come into the world to save a Tabitha. But would he come into the world to save somebody spitting in his face, crowning him with thorns, nailing him to a piece of wood? Yeah, this is the thing. For a good man, one might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his love in this, that while we were wretched sinners, Christ died for us. He was at his best when we were at our worst, when we did not deserve it. He's saying about his executioners, Father, forgive them. As they're cussing him out and blaspheming him and ripping his clothes off, and punching him in the face and saying, prophesy, Mr. Holy Man, who hit you? Boom! And he's going to die and pay their way. This is a pretty amazing love that came down at Christmas to save Aeneas and Tabitha. Aeneas and Tabitha, I speak to you now. In the name of Jesus, to you who are without power and without life, with some deadness in your sphere of influence, Jesus Christ is healing you. Get up and live. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your wonder and love, your goodness, your kindness. And that thing that will will glory in forever, <laughs> that you would show the highest love for those who are the most low sinners who are in host, hostile opposition to you. That's just, it's only God, only you could do that. We thank you that we're recipients, that you changed us. Powerless as we are, we now have power to walk with God. Dead as we were, dead in our sins, we now have life. We've been raised to a life that can never die. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.